0: All right, we are in the Gospel of Mark, if you want to open your Bible there. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 23, we're going to read into chapter 3, verse 6, because uh, both of the episodes have a uh, simple and single theme. Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. The topic, the Pharisees are furious that Jesus and his disciples push beyond the traditional boundaries of the Sabbath day observance, and so the title of our message is Seventh Day Adventurers. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for our morning. We believe that you are our teacher. You said you would be in your word, and you certainly are. You inspired uh, Mark to write the scriptures, and now you can inspire our hearts to receive them. We want to see one person in this narrative, and that is Jesus Christ, as he reveals God to us and your love for us and the mercy and grace that are ours in abundance in you. And Lord, as always, I pray that if there's anyone here uh, or in the fellowship hall that doesn't know you, they've come here for whatever reason, Lord, that's on their heart, but you've drawn them here, may they see you on the cross dying for their sins, rising from the dead to offer them eternal life. May they confess and repent and come to know you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, and those who agreed, said amen. If you want to observe the Sabbath, but you live in a high-rise building, you've got problems. Sabbath laws prohibit you from pushing the buttons in an elevator because doing so completes an electrical circuit. Completing an electrical circuit is the modern-day equivalent of kindling a fire, and that's a prohibited activity from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday there is a workaround special Sabbath elevators can be programmed to stop at every floor of the building automatically so that there is no need to push the button so you get in on the ground floor and you stop 75 times on your way to your assigned stop there are special Sabbath ovens that are built with Sabbath day settings, so that you can't turn them on and kindle a fire and don't forget your refrigerator if you open the door and the light comes on you've kindled a fire because it's completed an electrical circuit now we chuckle because this kind of stuff is ridiculous but there are folks and not just Jews who take such Sabbath observances very very seriously If it hasn't happened to you already, sooner or later, you'll be confronted by someone who insists that you must keep the Sabbath. Depending on who they are, that could mean simply that you attend church on Saturday instead of Sunday, or it could mean that kindling a fire and a myriad of other restrictions are going to make it all but impossible for you to get any rest on the Sabbath. Thankfully, Jesus addressed the Sabbath day and how it should be approached, and we get the foundation of what he taught in our text today. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, don't let anyone burden you about observing the Sabbath. And number two, don't let anyone block you from serving on the Sabbath. Let's take a look, first of all, about the burdens that people like to heap on. Now, the fourth of the Ten Commandments regarding the Sabbath says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That's it. Nothing about kindling a fire which relates to elevators and ovens and refrigerators. Nothing at all. The Sabbath day in the Bible is always Saturday, the seventh day of the week. More specifically, the Jews consider a day to be the interval from sunset to sunset. And uh, they have always observed the Sabbath from Friday evening until Saturday evening. That's the official biblical Sabbath. Uh, Friday evening at uh, dusk until Saturday evening at dusk. I might as well say this now. Some groups say that Sunday replaced Saturday as a new Christian Sabbath day. There's absolutely nothing in the Bible to substantiate that. That is a completely made-up thing. Modern Jews continue the tradition of observing the Sabbath. There are other Gentile Sabbath day observers. We might be most familiar with the Seventh Day Adventists, but there are several Seventh Day denominations and literally hundreds of churches that insist Christians worship on Saturday and that they do no work. Here we sit. It's Sunday. Are we wrong? Well, let's see. Verse 23, now it happened that he uh, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so walking along a path that skirted a grain field, probably wheat, the disciples picked some wheat, rubbed it in their hands, and they ate it. It was the invention of trail mix. (laughs) It's the first recorded trail mix. Why was it not lawful to do that on the Sabbath? There's an ex- that's an excellent question because nowhere in Scripture will you find what they did prohibited on the Sabbath. In extra-biblical writings, the Jews identified 39 categories that constitute work. It's their definition of the word work. I don't want to list them all. The ones pertinent to our discussion are reaping, threshing, and winnowing. Sure, if you're a farmer, reaping, threshing, and winnowing your grain is obviously work and you're called upon to abstain from doing it on the Sabbath according to the fourth commandment. That makes sense. But to a Pharisee, picking a few heads of grain on your walk is considered reaping. And rubbing it in your hands is considered threshing. And blowing off the chaff before you eat the handful of grain, they say that's winnowing. If you're thinking that's insane and certainly cannot be God's intention, well, you're on the right track, but still, we need to hear it from Jesus. And so the Pharisees kept pressing their question, so Jesus answered them. And in verse 25, we read But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. These guys prided themselves on knowing the Jewish scriptures. And you know what? They did know them. They were the experts on the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament. When Jesus said, have you never read, commentators jump on it and suggest he was putting them down, putting them in their place. Oh, you guys think you're so smart, but have you ever read, Uh, sort of as a one-upsmanship. That could be true, but I don't like to ascribe those kinds of motives to Jesus. After all, he came to die for those proud Pharisees too. We're told Jesus made himself of no reputation, so it wasn't really important for him to put down anyone jesus was just about the truth and i think what he was getting at is that he was suggesting an area of scripture pertinent to the Sabbath observance that they would have never thought of on their own because it doesn't have a direct correlation to the way they were thinking and when you read his whole answer to them in this chapter i think you'll see that jesus is suggesting they were starting at the wrong place when it came to their understanding of the fourth commandment they were starting with the definitions of work and then they were applying their definitions to people as rigid rules that they must rigorously observe in this case since farming was clearly work and no one would deny that so was micro farming by picking grain uh, as an individual but if you start by trying to define work you'll never think of the episode jesus mentioned as establishing a principle for understanding the sabbath david on the run from king saul was hungry at that time the tabernacle was located at nob the old priestly town near jerusalem david entered the tabernacle where the twelve loaves of bread were always kept situated on a special table it was part of the system of worship in the tabernacle They were replaced, these loaves of bread, every Sabbath, and only then could they be eaten and only by a priest from the family of Levi. The eating of the tabernacle bread by David and his men was a direct violation of the law of Moses. It wasn't just a violation of some interpretation of the Pharisees. It was a serious offense, or so you'd think. Nevertheless, David was nowhere condemned by God in Scripture and the Pharisees ignored this event, holding David in high esteem. Not not one of them suggested that David was in sin for doing this. In David's case, human need, they were really hungry, on the run, overruled the law of Moses. David's eating the forbidden to eat bread was a scriptural proof to the Pharisees that their rigid demands concerning their traditional observance of the Sabbath were inconsistent with Scripture. More importantly, they were inconsistent with the heart of God towards people. God didn't establish the rituals of the tabernacle like the placing of the 12 loaves in order to have men starve to death rather than eat them. So if the question is, we're starving and there are 12 loaves of bread. The right thing to do is to eat them, even though the law of Moses says they shouldn't be eaten except by the priests. And so Jesus is saying, if you start in the right place, you'll come to the right conclusion. So if it's possible to overrule the law law of Moses for humanitarian purposes, then it certainly must be possible to overturn the traditions of the Pharisees, which aren't in the law of Moses in march of this year in new york seven children of an orthodox jewish family died after their family's home burned down the fire was caused by a faulty hot plate that the family was using because they were observing sabbath rules since you can't cook on the sabbath and you can't switch anything on and off if you want hot food you keep a hot plate on the entire time uh, from sundown friday until sundown saturday the hot plate I don't think I don't think hot plates are meant to be on that long, anyway. I used a hot plate once in college in my dorm room, and it scared me to death. I mean, those things. There's nothing safe about them. I think they're all made in China, and uh, I think they're a, they're a secret weapon that the Chinese have put into our uh, stores. But anyway, uh, it was you know. <clears throat> This, was, this is not my analysis. This was the analysis of the firefighters and the, and the New York media that they were using this hot plate because they were observing the Sabbath. I don't think that is what God had in mind as a Sabbath observance, to, to do something that dangerous in order to keep a rigid rule. And so verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. You can't start with the work. You have to start with the men who do the work whom God loves. The Sabbath was never intended to be or to become a burden to mankind. It was always intended to be a blessing. The Sabbath was a gift from God that afforded mankind not only physical rest, but also refreshment in spiritual uh, things by raising our thoughts above our daily labors. Jesus wasn't done with his analysis. He says in verse 28, Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath." There are two ways of reading this, and both would be considered to be correct by scholars. The first is the most common, that Jesus, being the unique Son of Man prophesied by Daniel, could speak with authority about the Sabbath. After all, and we don't often think about this, but because Jesus is said to be the creator of all things in the book of Colossians, Jesus was there on the very first Sabbath. He was there on the seventh day of creation. He was the one resting from his work of creation. And so in every sense, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the second way you can read this is that the Son of Man here means all of mankind. Hebrew scholars and Messianic Jews read it that way. If that's the case, Jesus was reinforcing what he had just said, that people take priority over the Sabbath, not the other way around. We now have a much better, a much more biblical understanding of the Sabbath. We kind of have a Jesus style of keeping the Sabbath. Since Jesus observed the Sabbath, why don't we? Well, let's survey what happened after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead because it's very informative. The first Christian converts on the day of Pentecost and beyond for a time, they were all Jews. They continued to worship as Jews and that meant they continued to observe the weekly Sabbath because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week on Sunday those same early Christians called it the Lord's Day and they regularly met for their Christian worship on Sunday so they would observe the Sabbath as devout Jews but then they would also meet on Sunday on what we would call church when Gentiles began to convert to Christianity A very serious dispute arose about whether those Gentile Christians had to observe the Jewish laws about circumcision, diet, and the Sabbath. In other words, to be a Christian, do you first have to convert to Judaism through circumcision, dietary restriction, and the keeping of the Sabbath? In about 49 AD, give or take a year or two, Paul and Peter and James and the other church leaders met at what is called the Council of Jerusalem, and they decided, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that it was not necessary for Christians to observe the Sabbath rules and other aspects of the Jewish law. That was the decision, not just their decision, not an arbitrary decision, it was the decision of God the Holy Spirit as he inspired them to come to it period end of discussion or at least it should have ended the discussion but it didn't there were those who persisted in demanding Gentiles observe the Sabbath and other rituals of Judaism and those people persist to this day To all of them, then and now, the Apostle Paul went on to say, and this is from Colossians 2, he said, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Now when he's talking about food or drink, he means Jewish dietary laws and festivals, new moons or Sabbaths. Uh, speak of the Jewish calendar, and he specifically mentioned Sabbaths. Now, Paul could not make it any plainer that you are not under any obligation to keep any of those things, especially the Sabbaths, which would include the weekly Sabbath, as well as every seven years there was a Sabbath, and every 50 years there was a Sabbath. I'm not up on my seventh-day groups, but I don't think many of them are observing in any special way in every seven-year Sabbath or in every 50-year Sabbath where all debts are cancelled and people revert to their, ba- their own property and that I don't want to get off on a tangent but nobody really keeps the Sabbath by keeping a list of rules and regulations because everybody's rules and regulations are different and they just get stupider and stupider as you go along uh, and so but Paul said hey in 49 AD we decided this I can't believe you're still talking about this no you don't have to have a special diet you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to keep the Sabbath if someone wants to worship on Saturday I say knock yourself out I'll go to Walmart there'd be fewer people there and that's always a plus believe me if someone says we all must worship on Saturday and keep other rules and regulations I say not hold it right there You need to read the Bible. Now let's dig a little deeper still. The word for seven and for rest is the same basic root word, and it's our word Sabbath. The primary meaning of the Sabbath is rest. You can see that even without defining the word itself because the very first Sabbath was a day when God said He rested from His work of creation. Now what does that mean? Well, when God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because He was tired and He needed to kick back and recuperate. He he didn't spend all of his energy. He didn't want a day to sleep in. We have a tendency to just think of the Sabbath as a day of our resting from work. But God doesn't need that kind of rest. He rested because his work was complete. There was nothing else to do. The rest he was talking about was a rest of a perfect creation where there was no more effort. Pastor Ray Steadman said of this and I quote the Sabbath is not the keeping of a special day but the ending of a specific effort the weekly Sabbath Saturday is not the real Sabbath it never was and it is not now it is always a picture or a type of the Sabbath these pictures and types in scripture are often referred to as temporary shadows that point you to a permanent substance that they represent if you see a shadow it's not there by itself. Something is casting that shadow—a building, you, uh, something like that. So sh- a shadow means there is something real. A shadow is fake unless you're Peter Pan. Well, that's a whole nother story. I know what you're thinking. I know you're going to come up to me after and say, "What about Peter Pan?" <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've thought that through, and I'm on solid ground here. And so there's shadows, and then there's substance why am I telling you that because in the same passage where the Apostle Paul told us we don't need to observe it he said of the weekly Sabbath it is only a shadow of what is to come the substance belongs to Christ and so the weekly Saturday Sabbath was never a permanent thing and it was never the real Sabbath the real Sabbath was the coming of Jesus Christ and what he did When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he fulfilled all the shadows that pointed to his substance, to the real thing, which was him. Those who want to observe a certain day as the Sabbath are missing the real thing. They're preferring the shadow to the substance. One author said it this way, remember that you are not practicing a sterile system of principles. You are following a dynamic person who makes himself real to you through his indwelling Holy Spirit. Any modern effort to observe the Sabbath is automatically a burden. Don't let anyone burden you by insisting that you observe the Sabbath. Now, secondly, in chapter 3, don't let anyone block you from serving on the Sabbath. I thought we just established that we need not observe the Sabbath. Why then am I talking about serving on the Sabbath? Well, it's because there's something more to say about rest. We saw that God's rest meant his work of creation was complete and he ceased from any more effort it follows that we have a rest in which we cease from any more effort the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this he says therefore there remains a rest for the people of God for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his he says there remains a rest that means that the weekly Sabbath was never meant to be permanent but only to point us to the rest God intended for us as his believers a spiritual rest what is the rest that God has intended for us and has provided for us in Jesus Christ what is the real rest one commentator said the Sabbath keeping that is now expected of God's people consists in resting from one's own work as God did from his. It consists in trusting and being faithful to God. All self-effort, in which one relies on one's own efforts instead of trusting God, is to be avoided. You and I, as Christians, keep the spiritual Sabbath every day as we decrease and let God increase, as we depend upon Him, as we are led by Him and empowered by Him. And so, the original Sabbath was to point to Jesus who said, Come to me and you will enjoy a permanent spiritual rest every day, Monday through Sunday. It's an everyday thing, and if it is, then we're going to be serving on the Sabbath as we walk with the Lord, technically speaking. You could say, If your friends say You're, you don't observe the Sabbath, you say, Yes, I do. I observe seven Sabbaths a week. I'm seven times more spiritual than you are because every day is a Sabbath. Well, I've seen you kindle a fire on Wednesday. Well, see, then you know that they're in a whole different dimension. We're in the dimension of rest as a spiritual quality of life available to Christians every moment of every day. Uh, It's independent of circumstances and sufferings. It's a matter of walking in the sufficiency of God's grace and being empowered by God. And so, with all that in mind, the healing of a man's withered hand on the Sabbath takes on a whole new significance for us because Jesus rested in the Father's power and it ministered help and healing. And therefore, when we rest in God's power, we too can be used to powerfully minister to others. And so, verse 1 he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. The word, uh, it's worded, rather, in such a way that we know this man's hand had been injured somehow. He wasn't born with it, but he had lost the use of his hand. The damage was permanent. There were no surgeries. There were no physical therapies that would aid him. There's a Christian tradition that says the man was a stonemason previously and that the condition of his hand forced him now to beg for a living. You have to wonder how there was anyone left in Capernaum that had yet to be healed uh, with Jesus healing multitudes. But there were only so many hours in the day, and no matter how long the Lord labored, there were always more suffering and sick and dying people. We can't afford the luxury of being overwhelmed by needs in our world. We simply must go forth and say and do the things the Lord shows us. There will always be more poor and more sick and more suffering. We should follow Jesus' lead by always first giving them the gospel and then whatever help the Lord provides through us. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it is possible to look at the world and say, it's overwhelming. What can one person do? It doesn't matter what one person can do. It just matters what God wants you to do in reaching one person at a time with the gospel and then with whatever help. And if he wants to build something from that, fine. If not, that's your mission. Even Jesus couldn't touch everyone. Uh, but he ministered to those whom he came across and so verse 2 they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him it's clear that the Pharisees were the watchers too often the folks who think themselves spiritual are only watchers they watch for others to fail and fall feeling superior to them or they watch in the sense that they don't really serve anyone they set themselves up as leaders to be served they're always willing to lead but never willing to serve. Uh, Watch out for people like that. According to their list of Sabbath regulations to perform a work of healing on the Sabbath would be unlawful. Healing measures might be taken on the Sabbath day only when there was danger of death. You could keep somebody from dying but you couldn't give them any help beyond that. Does that sound like God wanting you to suffer instead of being healed because it happens to be Saturday? Sadly, that's how a lot of people see God, because that is how he is portrayed by folks even today. You know, the non-believers, they only know about God by what they see portrayed by people who say that they know God. Now, I'm not blaming us. We're not giving off this crazy picture of what God is life necessarily, but religious people are. And God is a harsh, judgmental, cruel tyrant. Uh, the, the picture most people have is that God the Father can't wait to destroy people that he lives to just blow people away that the Holy Spirit is his agent of destruction He's kind of gone crazy wild wanting to kill people and that Jesus comes along and tries to calm down his dad and say you know maybe some of these people aren't so bad and and people have a terrible that's a terrible picture Jesus said if you want to know anything about God at all if you wanna know what the father is like all you have to do is look at me because I and the father are one and so the real picture of God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit is to look at Jesus who came in human flesh and gave us a tangible picture of what it was like to be God of who God was like mercy and compassion and grace Sure, judgment to come, but only if you were here for our studies in Revelation, only after decades and decades and years and years of striving with people to see them get saved. And, and so um, their motive here is to accuse Jesus, thinking themselves so righteous for keeping their extra biblical Sabbath rules, they refused to see the sinful condition of their own hearts. They needed prayer, they needed the Holy Spirit. To work on their hearts, but their hearts kept getting harder and harder with each of these events instead of softer and softer. Jesus was trying to draw them to himself, uh, but they kept withdrawing. In verse 3, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. I think everyone knew Jesus was going to heal this guy. It's what he would say about it that had them all breathless with anticipation. In verse 4, he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they kept silent. If only they would apply that principle to our analysis of the Sabbath, everything would change. It would have been impossible to come to the stupid and senseless conclusion that it was work to heal someone unless they were about to die. If they had the example that Jesus gave of David and the showbread, and this question, you wouldn't have all these crazy Sabbath regulations. For example, the disciple would say, Rabbi, it seems like providing medical care to a person is work. If work is prohibited on the Sabbath, should we therefore withhold care, except maybe in urgent life-threatening cases? the rabbi would say well let me ask you this is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill and the disciple would say "Well, I see your point since God wants us to do good and to save life then I guess it's okay to give medical care on the Sabbath in fact we must do it to show the compassion of God that's a much better way of understanding the Sabbath knowing that even the law of Moses in certain cases can be overthrown because David ate unlawful showbread when he was hungry and that God wants to do good rather than evil and to preserve life and all, then you're not going to come up with these stupid ideas. The Sabbath is going to be a real day of rest and enjoyment. Their silence about this spoke volumes. First, it stated that they knew they were wrong, but they just wouldn't admit it. It's like talking to your kids. Did you do that? Maybe if I don't answer, I can't get accused of it. Second, it shouted that they were unconcerned about people's sufferings. All they were concerned about was whether Jesus was going to violate their Sabbath commandments. Meanwhile, this poor ex-stonemason is there with a withered hand who has to beg to make a living. Verse 5, And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other." As a man, Jesus experienced normal human emotions, among them anger, only without sin. Mark is going to go on to say that Jesus is grieved at men's hardness of heart, that he marvels at their unbelief, that he has compassion on the hungry crowd, that he sighs deeply in his spirit when the Pharisees seek a sign from him. He'll be indignant at the disciples' treatment of the children who come to him. He'll be greatly distressed and troubled, and his soul very sorrowful in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, a whole range of human emotions. The Lord knows exactly what and how you feel. Nobody knows you like He does. Nobody. We have a tendency to think that the Lord is far away. I get lonely. You get lonely. You think you're the only one, and the Lord can't help you. And you say, Well, the Lord's not here. He said, What? the Lord sent His Spirit to indwell you. He couldn't be any more here than that. You occupy the same space as it were. If you and I are lonely, it isn't God who has moved out or moved out of the way. We want to be lonely because we're in a pity party. Sometimes, you, I, you never know it because I'm such a happy person. <laughs> but man, can I pity myself. Woe, woe is me and it's always wrong because the Lord is with me you cannot be the definition of a Christian is you cannot be lonely not in the truest sense because the person who loves you the most and knows you the best is always with you and will talk to you and will help you and will see you through and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and all of those things and so I don't know what you're going through this morning we're all going through something even if you're in a good time, there's some, something creeping in the corner that you're not proud of. There's some corner of your life that makes you feel weird. The Lord knows that. Give it to Him. Let Him talk to you about it. Let Him heal you of those things. Benny Hester used to sing that song, Though some know me well, though nobody knows me like you. I, like, I just repeat that to myself sometimes. And I say, oh, Lord, I want to be lonely right now. I want to pity myself. It feels so bad that it's good. And the Lord says, no, it's not possible. I love you too much to let you wallow in that. Let's get up. Let's move on. This is the valley. Yeah, it is the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, it doesn't, lights don't often go on. You're still in that valley. There's still a shadow, but you're with the Lord. And so walk with him. When he looked around them with anger, and so the Lord having his anger uh, then acts. It says in verse 6, the Pharisees went out, and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Herodians were Jewish supporters of the ruler Herod. That's obvious. Therefore, they were sympathetic with Rome. Ordinarily, they'd be hated by the patriotic Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the tea party of their day. If I can use that analogy without, I mean that seriously. They were, they were like, hey, we're the patriots. We're the ones that are following the letter of the law. There's no chance that a Pharisee would ever have coffee with a Herodian. Even my coffee. But uh, here they were teaming up against Jesus. Having a mutual enemy brought them together. If you want an example of where religion leads you, this is a good one they regarded it as a terrible crime that Jesus would dare heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath so they plotted on the Sabbath to murder him and that that's what religion does it looks spiritual it looks godly but it kills it kills your spirit and it kills other people sometimes literally if given the opportunity jesus was and he is the sabbath expert as i pointed out he was there as the creator resting from his perfect work on the very first seventh day definitely the lord of the sabbath fast forward to his coming as the god-man his example of observing the sabbath was to every day rest in his father i said that jesus observed the sabbath in that he would go to synagogue and all of that but you you have to look at jesus and say He was the same on the Sabbath day as he was on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and on every day that ends with a Y. He was always the same. And because every day was the spiritual Sabbath to Jesus because he was filled with the Spirit and the Spirit had come upon him to do the work of ministry. And so people come along and say, well, Jesus observed the Sabbath. Yeah, he did it every day the way we're supposed to in the power of the Spirit and he rejected all those crazy rules because he said I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath and so I think we have a clearer picture of that we're to follow Jesus example there remains every day a rest for us to enter a spiritual rest of ceasing from our own efforts that starts when a person ceases from their own efforts to be saved and simply receives the salvation that is offered freely by grace. In my life, I grew up in a Roman Catholic tradition where I went to catechism, where I went to confession, where I took first Holy Communion, where I went to confirmation, and then, like a good Catholic, I quit going to church after that because I was saved. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's sometimes the way it is. It was a works-based salvation. I did those things, therefore, I was pleasing to God. Take a devout Catholic. I can only pick on Catholics as I was one. <laughs> Take a devout Catholic who is taking commun- who's going to church every Sunday, which you must if you're a Catholic, and taking communion once a week, which you must if you're a Catholic. If you have any hope of going to heaven, you have to do those things. You have to obey all the sacraments. They are working to go to heaven. They're thinking, if I do these things, I'm going to go to heaven. And Jesus comes along and He says, you you could do those things every day, all day, and it wouldn't change the sad condition of your heart. You need to receive me as your Savior by grace through faith, and I'll save you. And then you can enter into a rest that is free from ritual Christianity because you'll have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and he will come upon you and give you power to serve you have to cease from your own effort to be saved in order to be saved and trust in the Lord and then that continues moment by moment day by day as we choose to yield to the indwelling spirit rather than walk in our own energy unless we want to become legalists and start adding things we start off free and gracious it's all done for us at the cross and then somebody comes along and he says but have you been baptized properly are you keeping the right diet have you been circumcised are you worshiping on the right day and then we add these rules that are shadows I don't wanna live in the shadows do you wanna live in the shadow I wanna live in the reality of Jesus Christ the light of the world and so I don't wanna overly put down people who do these things but they're living in shadows and you can tell that because they're kind of always hey come over here to the shadow Come over here and worship the way we. You guys, I see you guys at Calvary Chapel. You think you're free. You think you can worship any way you want on any day you want. You have to worship on Saturday. Get over here into my shadow. And I'm telling you that the substance is Jesus Christ, the person who saved you. We are not seventh day anything, we are all seven day believers who can enter into the spiritual rest provided only by grace.